Alright, alright. Hello everybody. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. And adjacent combat sports, as my mood dictates. Uh, I'm Robert Winfrey, and I am your host. First up, per usual, thank you all very, very much. I don't have the biggest show in the world, but I appreciate the heck out of all of you who do listen. Um, thank you. means a lot to me. I know there's a lot of places you can go for MMA-related content, and the fact that you choose mine is supplemental to your overall experience is uh, humbling and motivating and occasionally baffling. <laughs> um, so, first of all, just thank you for listening. If it's not too much trouble, um, interact with the product a little bit, like, comment, subscribe, star rating, written review... Whatever's applicable to your podcast platform of choice, that all feeds the unknowable eldritch monstrosity that is the various algorithms tracking that kind of thing. So thank you all very much for that. Anything you can do is always appreciated. And if you've done any and all of that, um, share. Let people know. That's, again, anything you guys can do. And honestly, the fact that you just listen at all is, um, is really nice. So thank you. All right, um, on the agenda this evening... Last night, as I record this at least, uh, UFC on ESPN plus 94. Boy, that was a very, very apex card, wasn't it? Um, we'll go over all the results. I'm sure the primary reason you're here, we are previewing also UFC 298. The first pay-per-view of is pay-per-view 2024. I'm pretty sure... I'm going to double check that real fast. Yeah, there was none in January. So yeah, first pay-per-view of 2024. Headlined by maybe the best fight you can make in all of the sport right now. Um, other people hold that opinion. I would agree with it, honestly. So we will be previewing that. And then, pretty quiet news week at the Super Bowl. Kind of sucks up most of the oxygen, usually. And it did for this one, but again, we'll see if there's anything worth talking about. I've got a couple, again, I have a few things, you can see them in the timestamps and notes below, per usual. Um, I think that's it, as far as the uh, preamble here goes, so with that said, uh, let's get into this uh, card, shall we? Sorry, I'm a little... I've been up for a while today. Um, my One of my aunts throws a Super Bowl party every year, and I was up early starting some food for that, and it was worth it. But if I sound a little uh, out of sorts, I'm just a little sleep-deprived. Not a lot, just a little bit. I've been much more sleep-deprived than this. So, UFC on ESPN Plus 94. Uh, I... You know what? Your boy here had a pretty good card, picks-wise. Um, I'm not going to break my arm patting myself on the back here, but all told, I went 10-3 and three with one no contest. Um, I don't expect that to happen very often. <laughs> Double digits is probably, probably going to be a rarity. But... One way or another, I, I 
Turns out I had a pretty decent read on this card, so I'll take it. Um, what did I... Anything I wanted to say about that? Um, yeah, the no contest was going my way, but, you know, uh, if you can't continue after being kicked in the groin for the second time in a round, I am certainly not here to cast aspersions on you. Um... Yeah, so statistically speaking, my best event this year was this one. Um, brings me to 32 and 16 on the year, uh, two no contests thus far. I'm uh, I'm okay with that. I'm pretty okay with that. I think the only one of these that I have to talk about. I forgot to note my pick in the Fernie Garcia and um, Hader Emil fight. I'm 90% sure I picked Emil, but I couldn't quite find it when I was... I noticed that when I was writing up my blurbs. So I kind of scanned quickly through the audio of the podcast last week. Couldn't find... Uh, I, I couldn't find it. I didn't, I didn't listen to the whole thing. I, was, I listen to other stuff when I'm writing those up. So at that moment, when I, do, I write those up like Friday night uh, after the weigh-ins. So... Picked a meal. If I just couldn't find it last week and you're sitting here screaming at me that I'm a fraud and that should be the other way around, timestamp it, tweet me, write a comment. Uh, I'm not... I'm not here to... I mean, again, all I've got is my word on this, so... If I'm wrong and I'm misremembering, and I, again, if I just couldn't find it, whatever. I will happily adjust my tally. Um, this is not an ego thing for me. This is a curiosity thing. Um, and then... I kept my Bolaji Oki pick, even though he got a short-notice replacement in the form of uh, Tim uh, Kwamba after Hadzovic had issues. Again, I, I double-check all of my picks when I write up my blurbs, See if anything changed over the week and whatnot, and what might you know need to be adjusted. Um, the fact that he still won, yeah, uh, split decision. But uh, again, this is not an ego thing for me. If you're gonna quest, I'm not. Of all the cards, I might try to fudge on. This would not be one of them. This was this <laughs> kind of a nothing card. But as far as the predictions go. I had a, uh, I had a good one. I'm again not going to break my arm, pat myself on the back, but I'll take that on a on a 14 fight card. I'll take 10 and three with one fight that ended via groin kick. All right, um, main event. Let's get into the individual fights and no more of me, um, you know, talking up the stats and how I arrived at some of those things. Main event, Jack Hermanson defeats Joe Pfeiffer via unanimous decision, 48-47 across the boards. Um, live, I was 49-46 Hermanson. I don't think, watching it live, I didn't think Pfeiffer landed enough of his power punches in the second round. Everybody seems to disagree with me. Happy to say I missed, I missed that one. If I just, again, if I just missed it, my bad. You know, scoring fights live while doing coverage is not ideal. Usual disclaimers there. And I think I said last week, if this was three rounds, I'd pick Pfeiffer. 
If this was three rounds, he would have won. But rounds four and five are a different beast, man. And Pfeiffer slowed. He couldn't really corral Hermanson, despite Hermanson's um, footwork patterns. I don't want to say they're not great because that that gives him that does him such a disservice. They're more you can get reads on them easier than Pfeiffer did, and other people have. So something to note if you're going to fight Joe Pfeiffer in the future. Footwork can trouble him a little bit. Um, calf kicks were kind of a big deal, and Hermanson got the better of those. Um, yeah, again, just Pfeiffer slowed down the longer this went. Calf kicks, body work, just sort of general fatigue, because human beings are not meant to fight for 25 minutes. It's very much not a natural occurrence. And the first time you have that happen, it's it's a little bit of a shock to the system. Um, even if you've worked through it, it, plenty of guys who have won their first five-round fight, even if it goes all the way, they'll admit to, yeah, that, you know, trained hard for it, but it's still just a little bit different when it's live versus training. So Hermanson stayed alive. He'd been out of action for a little over a year. Um... The joke that kind of came out after this was, boy, how good is Roman Delidze? Because Delidze lost the first round of their fight pretty cleanly before catching him in that odd position. He went for a leg entanglement, switched to a calf crusher from behind. Or a calf slicer, rather. Sorry, crusher is what um, professional wrestling refers to it as. And he got, like, the back holding the calf slicer, and it kind of just pinned Hermanson. He couldn't really get free, and Delidze just teed off on him. And Delidze, of course, didn't have a whole lot in his last fight. Um, man, middleweight's not in the best place right now. Can we say that out loud yet? Other people have been. I'm going to just add my voice to that. Um, I'm not saying it's a crap division. I don't think that's fair to it. Uh, I am saying it, it kind of needs a rebuilding phase. We're starting to see guys who've been around for a while lingering in ways that a healthy division doesn't necessarily support most of the time. Um, Again, could be wrong, and there's some talented fighters in the division, but at the moment, I don't think it's trending in the right direction. So, Just some food for thought there. Middleweight's a weird division. Because um, for a long time it was pretty shallow with some big, <laughs> with some big sharks in it. Um, a few years back it got decently deep, and then kind of went sideways again. It's trending down at the moment again. Just some new talent will come along, and these things are cyclical. It's rare that you get a division that is consistently very, very healthy at the top end. You got to be something deep like lightweight or bantamweight to kind of pull that off. And dude, featherweight's been good for. And again, featherweight's had minor fluctuations, but featherweight's been pretty solid for a long time. Um, anyway, good win for Hermanson. Pfeiffer, a learning experience. And that first five-round fight can be it can be tough, man. And Pfeiffer mentioned, you know, losing the calf kick battle hurt and. 
seems he wasn't fully prepared for the amount of media he was going to have to do. Because um, he kind of complained about that, which is... He was he did that thing where, like, I'm not making excuses, I'm kind of explaining what happened. I'll take him at his word that he's not making excuses, he's just giving explanations, because those are not the same thing. And it's very true that the first time you get kind of that big uh, spate of media obligations from a UFC event, it's different. It can throw your rhythm off, you know? There's still, there's still a bunch of stuff that he should have already had dialed in, but in fairness to him, that will mess with you. So, again, for what it's worth. Um, the UFC still seems to like Pfeiffer. They were pushing him a little too far here, hence part of my pick. Um, he's, you know, he's not looked bad in the UFC until, you know, rounds four and five here, which... He's not the only guy who's looked rough in their first five-round fight that goes out of the third round. I imagine he'll do some rebuilding, but, you know, fighting a veteran like Hermanson in your... He's got less than ten fights, doesn't he? Or right around that. He's got 15, okay. So in your... So, you know, 12-2 and two coming into this was, in hindsight, certainly a bridge too far, and I don't think it was... It was entirely foreseeable beforehand that it could very well be a bridge too far, but yeah, middleweight kind of continues treading water. Uh, not much you can do about it. Uh, let's see, co-main event. Oof, Dan Ige, man, he ended Andre Feely. <laughs> um, Feely doing a lot of first round, man. Two forty-three of the first knocked him out. Um, Feely do, do, doing the thing, a lot of stance switches like he normally does. His problem came when he was entering orthodox and just got a little lazy with his lead hand. He kind of, you know, flicked out a bit of a jab. Not enough oomph behind it to stop Ige's forward motion. So Ige kind of eats this jab. Um, but Feely isn't down behind his shoulder while he's throwing it. And he's not out of range to get away from the right hand. Ige just floors him with one, one more for good measure. Um, really brutal knockout. Uh, good stuff from Dan Ige. Uh, he kind of needed a statement win here. Uh, then we had a catchweight fight. Ihor Potieria missed weight. Um, and then scored a unanimous decision over Robert Brychek. This fight kind of sucked. Potieria seems like one of those guys whose game only works against people he vastly outskills or who are shot. Uh, like very over-the-hill fighters. Um, still have yet to be genuinely impressed with anything he's done. And Brychek, he had moments, but he then couldn't deal reliably with the... Which is part of the reason I think Potieria is down at middleweight. He was public about, like, yeah, I want to be the bigger guy. I'm not good enough to fight guys bigger than me, so now I have to be bigger. Which is the fundamental concession a lot of guys are making when they drop down to try and be weight bullies. And I'm saying that in a negative sense here. I really shouldn't. Like I said, plenty of guys do this. Um, and Potieria's frame might be a little bit better suited for middleweight. If you can get within a pound and a half on short notice, 
he's probably going to have no problem making weight next time, but we'll keep an eye on it and see if he does. Again, not a good fight. Uh, middleweights, Gregory Rodriguez. Apparently, he does prefer Rodriguez instead of the Brazilian Rodriguez. So, Gregory Rodriguez, old RoboCop. He TKOs Brad Tavares, 55 seconds of the third round. Um, Tavares, I... I appreciate that commentary has a job to do. I really do. But listening to Daniel Cormier and Dominic Cruz talk about how Brad Tavares is there for the whole fight, which is somewhat tr- which is true. He's got good cardio. He's pretty durable. And it, you're in danger the whole time because even if you've beat him up for a couple of rounds, he'll still swing and might take your head off in the last one. Again... I appreciate that this is, they're trying to sell this. For the record, Brad Tavares has the, hang on, he, I think he surpassed Michael Bisbing for most bouts in middleweight history here, so credit to him, been around for a long time. But... He has the second most decision wins in UFC history, only behind Neil Magny. He has the most fights that have gone the distance in divisional history. And, hang on. How many, in his entire UFC career, yeah, he knocked out Phil Baroni in his second UFC fight in 2011. Baroni was way over the hill. Um, yeah, his only other finish win is over Christoph Yotko in 2018. So, dear commentary, again, I appreciate that you have to sell this. I really do. But we're not stupid. Especially if you're watching this kind of card, you know who Brad Tavares is. You know that this guy, again, two finishes in a UFC, two finish wins. He's been finished a few times. In a UFC career that is 14 years long, almost. And, he, dude, he's got how many fights? 29? Came into the UFC at 5, so he's 5-0, and oh, then his sixth fight ever was in the UFC. So, 24, give or take. Yes, he would have... T- so, like, 24 or 25, sorry, I'm not going to count. UFC fights. Two finish wins. Guys, again, I appreciate that commentary is a difficult gig. I appreciate that you're trying to sell it. Take that to another sucker, I beg of you. That is that is ridiculous. That is just ridiculous. Um, but Rodriguez did what he usually does. Pretty good forward pressure. They both traded punches. Um, Rodriguez just hit harder, got some takedowns, and kind of wore on him a little bit. Third round just starts clubbing. Tavares gets him against the fence and is able to unload enough to get the stoppage. Uh, yeah, pretty solid win for old RoboCop there. 
Um, lightweight, Michael Johnson defeated Darius Flowers via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Kind of just a veteran performance out of Michael Johnson. Worked the body a little bit. Stayed mostly out of trouble. Waning seconds of the third round, maybe. Um, but other than that, you know, again, landed some pretty good punches, mixed in some takedowns, just generally better. So he got a win. Kicking off the main card, um, Adolfo Vieira defeated Armin Petrosian via arm triangle choke, 448 of the first. Um, some good takedowns from Vieira. Um, he had to hit some mat returns, like chain a few of them together, because Petrosian wall-walked the first couple of times he got down. Then uh, Vieira switches from back with a back body lock, comes around, elevated double, uh, gets Petrosian down and is able to get control enough of his legs to prevent the wall walk. Hits, oh, a beautiful pass out of half guard into full mount. Just floating like butter. Oh, gorgeous, gorgeous pass from Vieira. Um, passes to full mount, gets the arm triangle. Um, yeah, Sol- again, solid performance from Vieira. Then on your prelims, there were a lot of them. Carlos Prates defeated Trevin Giles via knockout, hit him with a laser left hand, um, 403 of the second. Um, Giles was giving Prates some problems. Be very clear about that. But uh, Prates started landing towards the end of the first round and then a little bit more in the second. Started landing, he was fighting southpaw, uh, a stepping left knee to the body. And anytime they would kind of clash together, he'd throw that, and Giles didn't like it. Giles still landed plenty of good punches. Again, Giles had a... He was winning, my estimation. I gave... I thought he won the first round. I thought he was doing well in the second. Then Protes gets a little bit of a read, hits him with that knee one, you know, one too many times, and Giles like, fine, I've had enough of this. Fakes the knee, gets the reaction, left hand right down the center, and just sleeps Giles. Um, Protes has a bit of a reputation as being uh, you know, kind of an action fighter from his regional scene. Nice to see him bring that to the UFC. Some guys, they develop that reputation, and then between the step-up in competition and a few other things, that it slides away. Like it's a little bit different, but Protes brought it here, so good win for him. Uh, lightweights, Balaji Oki defeated Tim Kwamba via split decision. Um, 29-28. Um, I scored it for Oki. I don't get two rounds to one for Kwamba, to be perfectly honest. I think maybe the third he might have won. Again, at least from what I saw. I'm not going to bother looking at the official scorecards. Um, pretty good jab from Oki. Um, Kwamba, he struggled with that, but he got a few takedowns, and Oki's get-ups did not look especially scintillating. He's young enough. He's got time to develop. Kwamba normally fights at featherweight. Um, took this on short notice. Uh, I'm curious to see what he might be able to do at featherweight. Um, yeah, again, kind of a forgettable fight. Uh, strawweight, Loma Lubunmi defeated Bruna Brazil via unanimous decision. 29-28 across the boards. I was 30-27, but third round could have gone to Brazil, I suppose. Um, Brazil just let Loma fight her fight. A lot of 
stuff at distance, just better kicks and combination work from Lomas, and better clinch fighting. Uh, yeah, not a whole lot to go on there. Um, somebody brought up an interesting point, though, I saw on Twitter. Because um, Loma and uh, Stamp Fairtex were both very highly regarded uh, Muay Thai fighters out of uh, out of Thailand. In fact, Loma might have been the pound-for-pound pound number one. And their careers have taken pretty different paths. Stamp Fairtex went with one. And assuming one sticks around, which is itself a bit of a mystery as to how long that's going to go. But she's kind of become a star for them. She's put on some great fights, has worn gold. Uh, again, kind of had a few, had some breakout performances. Loma went to the UFC, and she's had you know, some ups and downs, and is kind of just, she's a little lost in the pack. Um, part of that is, that woman is a much more natural atom weight. I said in my preview, I think, if they had 105 pounds, this Loma Lugbunmi would be, I don't know if she'd be champion, but she'd be around the title pretty consistently. Um, she got a solid enough win here. Light heavyweights, uh, Marcin Procneo defeated Devin Clark via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. And after about two minutes into this fight, I sat there thinking to myself, uh, past self, you picked Devin Clark to win a fight. Shame on you. <laughs> you buffoon. You should have known better. Indeed, I should have. One of the few I got wrong, but I got that quite wrong, so... Decent enough overall performance from Prachnia. Stuffed most of the takedowns. Kicks from long range. And, you know, fairly standard, mediocre, light heavyweight fight. Not even mediocre. Slightly lower mediocre light heavyweight fight. Welterweights. Uh, Max Griffin defeated Jeremiah Wells via split decision. Again, 29-28. Um, I scored it for Wells, but I'm not up in arms over this one. The fight kind of sucked. I, I'm not going to sit here and declare that uh, Carlston Harris might have ruined Jeremiah Wells. But something was different with that guy this time around. Um, a lot more just like trying to explode rather than set things up. Not a lot of takedown attempts. Uh, he tried a ninja choke on Griffin at one point. Which, you know, credit for trying, but... He slightly overcommitted, actually, like once Griffin had kind of sussed it out and was getting away from the danger. There was an opportunity for Wells to either change position or really break free, and he didn't quite capitalize on either. Uh, Griffin, after the fight, kind of getting pissed off at Sal D'Amato was funny. Um, I think Sal D'Amato has been the judge for a few of Tyson, uh, Tyson I'm sorry, Max Griffin's fights. And I think he scored four of them against him. So, like, there's several split decisions on Griffin's record, both wins and losses. And almost all of them, like, pertain to Sal D'Amato. I am not a big you know, proponent of Sal D'Amato continuing to judge fights. But it was funny to see Griffin, you know, is this a personal thing or something? <laughs> uh, dude, you, just, you fight in a way that is not very emphatic most of the time. And Wells did not look like he'd fully rebounded from that uh, Carlston-Harris loss. 
Uh, light heavyweights, Bogdan Guskov defeated Zach Paunga via knockout punches, 338 of the first. Nice little finishing sequence from Guskov, but mm, he's got a lot of work to do. Uh, this is one of those guys who kind of... Uh, you need to adjust how you fight regionally versus how you fight in the UFC. And... I you know have to give him a little bit of a pass for a slightly short notice fight against Vulcan Uzdemir going sideways on him. He really will not find I can't, I'm not gonna say he's not gonna find any success. Um, but the style he displayed here, it's good enough to beat the Zach Paunga level. I don't know that it would beat even guys who are like fringe top 15. But light heavyweight is also kind of a dumpster fire, so who knows. Uh, featherweights, Hader Emil defeated Fernie Garcia via TKO punches, 212 of the second. Decent enough little fight here. Um, Garcia moving up to featherweight after being at bantamweight and going 0-3. His woes continue. Um, there was definitely a size difference. He tried to compensate for that with some speed, but... Uh, just kind of got worn down. Um, Emil just, again, kind of battered him and just slowly broke him down with just repeated thudding shots. Um, they had a they had a really fun uh, grappling exchange in the uh, near the end of the first round. Actually, each guy had the other's back for a bit. Um, if you didn't watch this one, it's not the worst fight in the world. Um, it might be the only it's the only fight I'd really. I'll do that in a second. Um, decent enough little debut for Emil. And again, Garcia now 0-4. That's usually your walk-in papers, but he might get one more shot at it. And kicking everything off, Daniel Marcos and Richie Long ended in a no contest due to an accidental groin kick in the second round. Uh, Marcos, I thought, won the first pretty handily. Was battering Richie Long's face. Um... Then the second round comes along, and these two can't stop kicking each other in the groin. Um, Marcos lands one that, not too bad, but, you know, not great. Orichi Long responds in kind What was happening here was largely both guys kind of looking for either inside leg kicks or front kicks when they're a little too close to do so, and it results in... Especially front kicks, like the groin is just in the trajectory of the kick a lot of the time. Even if you throw those real snappy, like you know, taekwondo or uh, taekwondo is more round kicks. Uh, but if you throw those, like you've, if you've ever seen like tra- more traditional karate guys, any traditional martial art, they have that real like bring the kick up chambered and then snap it out, and even that style, like if you get a little too close, it'll mess with that. So that kind of happened back and forth, and the referee then told both of them, like, all right, we're, we're done with this. You know, watch yourselves. And normally that might mean that on the next kick there's a point deduction. Under different circumstances, this might have gone differently, but Orichi Long is coming forward. Marcos goes to throw a front kick. And Orichi Long, for reasons known only to him and the Almighty, jumps up in the air. And this puts his groin 
in the path of the kick when it was this was not marcos being even remotely irresponsible with his weaponry this is the big thing about you know like you're in charge of your weapons so if you throw a kick and it's not unreasonable that you know it might foul the guy like that's on you the other guy jumping up in the air and then that changing the entire trajectory of things like I can't get mad at Daniel Marcos for this one. I mean, the greatest low blow of all time came to us courtesy of, um, oh, what was it? Was it KSW last year? Guy, fighter A, swings a right hand aimed like at the chest in the solar plex area. His opponent jumps up and tries a flying knee and that punch that was aimed perfectly legally at the chest hits him in the groin and just like doubles him over. Oh, it's hilarious. There's another KSW or Octagon last year, and I'm inclined to think KSW, because Octagon doesn't usually do the, like, um, body painted on uh, sponsors, and I think KSW still does. Um, No shade on that, just an observation if you're trying to tell which Polish MMA promotion you're looking at. Um, This one, Origi Long, again, I can't throw shade at that guy either. Getting kicked in the groin sucks. If your body weight is coming down as that's coming up, too, like, that's just... That's almost worst-case scenario. And he took the full five, and at the end of that, just couldn't continue. And uh, He was losing this fight, I won't say horribly, but handily. And it was, again, starting to go south in a hurry. So, really unfortunate, but just one of those things, man. Like, the way, the weapons these two were choosing, given some of the distance considerations, made made the first low blow, give or take, inevitable. Might have been an eye poke involved as well. Like, just not a great showing from both guys in terms of following the rules. So, that was a no contest again, uh, 328 of the second. Unfortunate for Marcos, he was, again, he was winning that. And then, don't know why Richie Long jumped. I I really don't. Like, that's not normally what you do. He wasn't throwing an offensive technique, it looked like. Did he think a calf kick was coming or something? I I, I guess I don't know. I don't know why he did that. But he did, and it made that uh, made that into a low blow instead of a legal kick and i don't know i'm for the record that's not me saying in any way shape form or fashion he was looking for a way out um i it was just an odd decision that he made so that was it all 14 fights you might have noticed i did not say there was a fight of the night there was no fight of the night bonus awarded I might have given it, it was shorter, but I might have given that to Emil and Garcia, personally. I don't know, I didn't hate uh, Rodriguez and Tavares either. Instead, whenever they don't award Fight of the Night, we tend to get four performance bonuses. As we did here, Danny Ige, Adolfo Vieira, Carlos Prates, and Bogdan Gushkov. So, pretty much, if you got a finish, and you weren't Hater Emil, you you got a bonus. Yeah, finishes were something of a premium, and that prelim card rant, uh, 
one, it ran long because you had a bunch of fights. Then you had, man, that first fight was extended by like seven minutes due to fouls. Because it, it, again, took the full five before Richie Long couldn't continue. Which is, that's why the rule's there. I'm not, again, no shade. Just a notation that uh, they were behind pretty early, and I don't think they ever really got back out in front of it, uh, time-wise. But if you want my full report, it's in the MMAZona411mania.com. Give it a read. Always appreciate whenever you guys are able to do that, so thank you very, very much. Uh, onward. So, there we go. Sorry. Uh, this coming Saturday, I mentioned already, UFC 298. First pay-per-view of 2024. And we are looking at a fight I'm very excited for. The main event is... Okay, just for the record. Uh, this is a solid pay-per-view card, by the way. Um, what do I think is weak here? I mean, there's a few... Like, I don't care much about Jeff Neal and Ian Machado Gary. And I... I know I'm in the minority here. I just don't care about Henry Cejudo. But other people do, so objectively, we got a pretty solid pay-per-view card here. Um, this, fight, this event's lost a couple of fights. Um, what have we lost... Uh, for a while, we were supposed to get um, Anthony Hernandez and Ikram Alaskarov, or Alaskarov, I don't know how he prefers, so I'm going with Alaskarov, and then I'll fix that. Um, that got changed. Uh, we lost, I think, Trishan Gore and A.J. Dobson, which, you know, you may not think is much of a loss, but is actually a loss to the card. <clears throat> See, we lost um, Vinya Nakamura and Brady Heastand, Tatiana Suarez and Amanda Lemos. Lemos is on the card. But Suarez, oh, unfortunate that that woman... She's so good. That woman should have worn gold by now, but uh, health issues, man. Uh, Tai Tuivasa and Marcin Tabor got rescheduled. Nothing of value was lost there. Um, we lost Danny Barlow and uh, Yusaku Kenoshita. I think that would be Kenoshita. Um, sorry, just listening to a bunch of other people do some Japanese names that have that kind of ending to them, and uh, most of those are like you know American or uh, European guys trying to pronouncing it the way that. It would be pronounced under English language or English-adjacent languages. And I'm pretty sure that's not, you know, it's not like Yamashita, it's Yamashita. But, again, I might be mistaken. I My knowledge of Japanese comes from um, a little bit of uh, some older Japanese uh, MMA promotions. Uh, a little bit of anime, and um, Japanese professional wrestling. So, 
my, I could be way off base there. <laughs> pretty sure I'm right. I'm pretty sure that would be Kenoshita. As opposed to Kinoshita. So, anyway, that fell apart. Um, I think those were... Those might have been Road to UFC things. I don't know. One of the, I think Kenoshita came from that previously, but... Anyway, let's... Point being, a few setbacks here and there. Um, but, you know, such is life with these cards. Um, currently scheduled for... What do we got? Seven, eight, nine... Only 11 fights on the... Yeesh. Um, thank you. If I'm counting correctly, that's only 11. Anyway, main event. Best fight in the sport, I think. For the featherweight title, longtime champion. I can say long time at this point, right? When I got, he won the belt um, in 2019, December of 19. So, a little over four years. Uh, long time at four years might be a bit of a stretch, but uh, especially at featherweight, because we've had some long reigns at featherweight. And how long is... I should have a specific number here. Um, do we have number of days as champion? No? All right, we'll leave that. I could look it up, but it's... Eh, it's not worth it. Okay, so. Featherweight champion, Volkanovski, going for his... What is this, fourth? Hang on, so... Max, Ortega, Zombie, Max. So, one, two, three, four, five, six! This would be his sixth title defense at 145. Volkanovski has never lost in this weight class. Um... Which is kind of remarkable. His only career losses, he has his first one ever was up at welterweight. And then he has two losses at lightweight, both to Islam Makashev. He's coming off the Makashev loss where he took a very inadvisable fight. Um, both Volkanovski and Eugene Behrman have talked a little bit about this in the build-up to this one. Volk mentioning that he was being pretty undisciplined, um, drinking a bit too much. Uh, and that's not normally a thing that he does, but he did here. I think he said he drank a little, like some every day for a few weeks, and you know, that's very undisciplined. And then you know, Eugene Behrman kind of coming out and saying, yeah, I, he's not the only coach for uh, Volkanovski, but him coming out and saying, yeah, I was never really in favor of that. You know, you took the fight that first time with a full camp, and sure, it was competitive, but under mostly ideal circumstances, you couldn't get the job done. Fighting that guy on 10 days' notice is just a recipe for disaster, and Eugene Behrman, not a, uh, not a dumb man. Turned out to be very correct there, but back at featherweight. Um, ha- again, had enough time off. You know, we're four months, give or take, off. That's, you know... You, that, that's an okay time to recover from uh, your first knockout loss since 2013. On the other side, we've got Ilya Teporia, who is undefeated, 14-0, and has been just um, beasting through the UFC. 
I don't just mean stopping everybody. He's got a couple of decisions. His UFC debut went the distance. Um, he's got one. Yeah, that fight with Jai Herbert. He took on short notice up at lightweight. Had a really bad first round. Rallied and knocked him out in the second. Uh, gutsy performance there. Then his last two fights, I mean, he put a beating on Bryce Mitchell and then completely shut down Josh Emmett for five rounds. That is not easy to do. And he's younger. So Volkanovski has hit the magic number. The magic number, for those of you who do not know, is 35. I've talked about this before. There's only been one fighter in UFC history that has won a title fight. I think think the caveat there is undisputed. Have to double check on the interim side. But only one fighter has won a fight, a, a UFC title fight, above the age of at 35 and over in UFC history. Tyron Woodley did it twice. And frankly, I don't want to say those were aberrations, but I've talked about this before. One of those was over old man Maya, who was like 40. And then Darren Till, who really shouldn't have been in the cage with him, was pushed way too fast. Um, And he got that title shot coming off of a fight I and a number of other people thought he lost. So, the UFC just really wanted another uh, UK star, and they thought they had one until, and they kind of ruined him. Um, But the point there being, if you go, you know, 155 and lower, nobody's done it. So Volkanovski, now 35, he's hit that number, and to Volkanovski's credit, he released a hilarious little, like, two-minute video on YouTube making fun of, you know, him being too old. Um, Look it up if you haven't had the chance to. It's funny. Um, I got a few laughs out of it. But that's, that's a big deal. I mean, the numbers don't lie in that respect. Now, somebody at some point is going to break that, is going to, you know, change the statistic there a little bit it's inevitable you do anything enough every outcome becomes an eventuality um which is kind of an extension of murphy's law i suppose but um it's a rough one this is this is a tough fight deporty again young i mean he's only 27 young guy power puncher, pretty good striking defense. His shoulder rolling against Josh Emmett was excellent. Can wrestle. Uh, We've seen him fight five rounds. He's, even if Taporia comes up short here, I expect him to be in the title picture again at some point, probably wearing gold. Right now, not as sure. Eventually, I, I would bet on this guy wearing gold at some point. Uh, not as sure yeah, not as sure right now. Few things here. Um, both guys will do some stance switching. Volk's a little bit better at that. Volkanovsky has really refined his game as of late. Um, he does a lot of trickery. He does a lot of setups, a lot of hand fighting. He's got a good chin. You know, the knockout loss to Makashev notwithstanding. Um, I'm very much looking forward to this one. I think the battle, a couple of things are really interesting to me about this one. Um, Some of this is on the physical side. 
Teporia will be a little bit taller. He's 5'8", and he's got a 69-inch reach, whereas Volkanovski is 5'6", but has a 71-and-a-half-inch reach. So how we navigate that space will be a little bit interesting. Volkanovski's jab is kind of a big thing for him. Even if he doesn't land it, he uses it to hand fight. Um, his leg kicks, again, disruptors, builders, mixing up, um, striking with takedowns. The real estate is not as interesting to me here because both... To, if Teporia is going backwards the whole time, I think that's a bad look for him. I think it will indicate bad things. But you know, other times, like, okay, whoever's going forward is winning. And this is not that simple. Um, Volkanovski, quite capable of fighting off the back foot if necessary. Uh, and, again, this is it's a really good fight. The temptation to just stick with the age line is very real here for me. Um, but I do think I'm, I'm going to lean towards Volkanovsky here just a bit. Now, just a bit, and I am not at all going to be shocked if Ilya Teporia wins anyway, actually. He could get a stoppage. He's heavy-handed enough. He could get a submission. Volk's never been submitted, but, and you might be saying to yourself, or to me, if Brian Ortega couldn't do it with that mounted guillotine choke, then how in the world is Ilya Teporia going to pull it off? I didn't say it was the most likely. I said it wouldn't surprise me because Ilya Teporia is a very, he's a pretty darn good grappler. Ultimately, I think Volk is a little bit too refined and a little bit too well-rounded. He can, can play up and down. Good about mixing things up. Good about landing. Uh, Teporia's defensing, and while it was good against Josh Emmett, Josh Emmett is a very predictable striker. So Teporia could build very solid defensive patterns that Josh Emmett was unlikely to ever really punish. Volkanovski's a much more varied striker. His patterns are much more sophisticated. Not nearly as easy to uh, decipher. So, I'm going with Volkanovski. I think he's going to buck the trend of 35 and older, but if he doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me. This is a great fight. It's a great main event. I am psyched for this one. Genuinely can't wait. Please don't let anything happen to this fight. It's so good. I just, uh, That's my only fear is that something happens during the week of. But other than that, uh, can't can't wait for it. Great fight. Co-main event. Uh, Sir Robert of Knuckles, Robert Whitaker, will be taking on Paulo Costa. Both men have agreed to it this time. The UFC isn't just uh, out here spouting nonsense. Whitaker, such a shame he doesn't have an official title defense on his record. Um, his Still, his only losses at middleweight ever um, are to Israel Adesanya and Drikas Duplessis. So, former champion, current champion. I'm not prepared to write him off just yet. I know he's getting up there a little bit. He's he's only 33, but for the record, but 
31 total fights. Been with the UFC since 2012. So, that December of 12? So, 11 years coming up on 12. That's, that's a long career, and he's fought some... That guy has fought a lot of people. Um, a lot of very, very good people. I mean, if we want to limit this to his middleweight run, it goes as follows. Uh, Clint Hester, Brad Tavares, Uriah Hall, Rafael Natal, Derek Brunson, Jacare Souza, Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero again, and good grief, that second one is a war. If you haven't seen it, go watch that fight. Israel Adesanya, Darren Till, Jared Cannonier, Kelvin Gastelum, Adesanya again, Marvin Vittori, and DDP. Find me the soft fight there. The closest you get is Clint Hester, and Hester was favored to win that, if memory serves. He just didn't pan out. After that, it's... Again, there's not a soft fight there by any stretch of the imagination anywhere along that list. So, the miles do add up at some point. On the other hand, we have Paulo Costa, he of the secret juice, who has not fought since August of 2022 when he uh, beat Luke Rockhold via unanimous decision. Because Rock and Rockhold then kind of retired from MMA after that. It was a great fight. It was your fight of the night for UFC 278. But he's been out for a while. He's been off for a while, and I'm I'm not gonna be shocked if Paulo Costa pulls this off, because much as I respect Robert Whitaker, again that. That dude's been in some wars, and he has fought the best for a long time, and I respect the heck out of him for it. I have nothing but admiration for his career. I'm on record for that multiple times. But that bill does come due. And if this is the time when that starts happening, I'm not going to be too surprised. That said, I am picking Whitaker because I don't pick against him very often. And I expect he will be too technical for Paulo Costa. I expect he will be a little too quick. He moves very well. If he's kind of ironed out some of the pa- some of the habits that uh, other guys have been able to pick up on, because I mentioned here for a long time, a lot of tape on that man, a lot of tape on on Robert Whitaker. So people have started picking up on some of his habits. But if he's ironed out a few of those, I expect he will give Costa problems. His jab will give him problems. He's a pretty good blitzer. Um, Whitaker's been adding some wrestling into his repertoire. He Whitaker's not the tallest middleweight, but he's pretty darn strong. So going with Whitaker... Solid co-main event overall. And let's see, next up, welterweights. Jeff Neal and Ian Machado Gary. This is the fight I am the least interested in on this card. Main card. Um, Neal... Been out for a little... Neal looked pretty darn good for a long time. 
Um, then he lost a five-round fight to Stephen Thompson. That hurt. Then he followed that up by losing to Neil Magny, a fight that he... When I say he probably should have won, I don't mean that he that he should have won on the scorecards. I mean, he really, like, he's he demonstrated to be better than Magny most places and couldn't do it that night. Beat Santiago Ponzinibbio, knocked out Vicente Luque, but... Uh, and then he gave Shavkat Rachmanov some problems before getting tapped out eventually. Neil's a pretty stern test for old Gary here. Um, Gary's undefeated, 13-0. and Coming off a good enough win over Neil Magny. You know, I've picked against Gary a lot, and I keep feeling stupid afterwards. Here's the thing about this one. The best version of Jeff Neal should beat Ian Machado Gary. That doesn't... I feel pretty confident saying that. The problem with Jeff Neal is that he's not been consistently able to beat to bring his best version or something closely approximating it to bear in the fight. Ugh. I'm going to feel like an idiot if the one time I pick, the first time I pick Gary to win, he loses because he's taking a step up against a very prepared, very dangerous opponent. But I'm going to go with Gary. I think, I think the UFC like him a lot. And despite the, dude, that guy received a mountain of backlash over the last little bit. Some of it deserved. Some of it is stupid. Like some of it, the whole like, oh wait a minute, is your is your wife sleeping with other men? Like, okay, I don't care. Stop with this. That's that's stupid. Like CW drama BS that is utterly uninteresting. Him lashing out at people for stepping out of fights and then pulling out of his and then. Like, there's some hypocrisy going on there that I have no problem with other people kind of roasting him over. Some of the stuff that I I don't care and I think is stupid. Some of it, like, I mentioned this before, man. You put out a lot of noise, a lot of noise is going to come back at you. And that, you better be ready for it. And I don't know that Gary was. So we'll see if he's able to in this case. Um, I'm going to pick him. Might feel very, very dumb uh, come fight night, but I think he's figured out some of the issues that were bothering him earlier, and Jeff Neal's just been a bit too inconsistent for me to feel very confident picking here. All right, that brings us to Bantamweight and Henry Cejudo versus Marab Dvalish really. Cejudo did some coaching shakeup for this, including, um, for this camp at least, not being with Eric Albaracin. Cejudo's been out of action for a bit. He last uh, lost a split decision to Aljamain Sterling. I didn't get this being split, by the way. For the bantamweight title after a three-year retirement. Um, He was supposed to fight Marlon Vera last year, and he dodged a bullet there when he injured his shoulder, because I think Vera would have put it on him. Um, 
this is a big fight for him. He's trying to get back to the title picture. A win over Marab would do that, in fairness. But Cejudo is 37. Um, he's almost... Okay, he just turned 37, okay. And that's rough. And he's got skills, but I don't know. He looked rusty, and now his body's starting to break down a little bit. I mean, the dude's been wrestling forever. And then train like your body does just break down. Um, Dwalis really has not lost since April of 2018. So he's on a what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah, nine fight winning streak. Only one finish in there, and he probably should have lost that fight to Marlon Moraes. I that could have been stopped in the favor of Moraes. Coming off a win over Piotr Jan, that was deeply uninspired. Coming off of a, prior to that, he beat Jose Aldo in a deeply uninspired performance. <laughs> oh. Here's the thing. I don't think Dwalish really is capable of out-wrestling Henry Cejudo in pure wrestling. That would be very surprising to me. But we've also seen what Marab does when he can't just out-wrestle you. He will just... Uh, he will just clinch. He will just move forward. He will just fight at a pace that you can't match. And I do have some questions about Cejudo's gas tank at this point. I have questions about anyone's gas tank relative to Marab's. That dude's motor is insane. I'm not going to be... Once again, I'm not going to be surprised if Henry Cejudo wins. I am long since past being surprised by that man's success. But at his age, with his mileage, against a guy that, I mean, in fairness to the other point, like, I don't know that Cejudo will be able to consistently out-wrestle Marab. I expect him to be the better technical wrestler, but technical wrestling and MMA wrestling are not the same things. So I expect him to be a little bit better there, but I don't know that that's going to be something he can bring to bear continuously enough to slow down and stifle Marab's general pressure and pace game. So I'm going with Marab here. It occurs to me I've not looked up the odds on any of these, so for the sake of... uh, For the sake of my curiosity, let's see how much I might be picking against the curve here. Um... I'm actually on... I'm actually picking the favorites at the moment. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, Volkanovski, slight favorite. Very slight. Um, Whitaker, a decent favorite over Costa. Marab, decent-ish. A little less than 2-1 to one over Cejudo. Gary's a favorite over Neil. Yeah, so, okay. Brave picks for me coming out at the moment. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, sarcasm aside. Yeah, going with Marab there. For the aforementioned reasons, the odds do not affect my pick. I bring them up for as a talking point more than anything else. And kicking off the main card, we have Anthony Hernandez and Roman Kopilov. Another very good fight. Um, Hernandez, he's on a good winning streak. Um, in order, Rodolfo Vieira, who he caught with that nasty seated arm triangle... Josh Fremd, Marc-Andre Berrio, and Edmund Shabazian. 
The Shabazian win, I do not put a tremendous amount of weight behind because Shabazian's kind of washed out at this point. Um, him being able to hang on against Vieira and eventually outgrapple him was big. Uh, the Barrio win was kind of what everyone expected out of that fight. Hernandez is good. Hernandez is very good. I He is your favorite, and I understand why. But if you'll indulge me for just a moment. Um, Roman Kopilov is a better striker. Kopilov is on a four-fight winning streak. All of them finishes. Pretty violently, too. I think it's the other thing about... Uh, hang on. Hernandez's last fight was... Yeah, May of last year. Do you have anything fall out? Um... Yeah. Um, okay, so Kopilov's taking this on somewhat short notice. Might be affecting things. This was supposed to be, I mentioned it already, um, a little bit earlier I mentioned it, I think. Um, Hernandez against Ikram Alaskarov. This would have been a really good fight. Um, Hernandez was supposed to fight Chris Curtis last year. Curtis got injured. Kopilov stepped in. Hernandez got injured. Then Fremd fought. Uh, Kopilov and Kopilov violently knocked him out. The short notice gives me a little bit more pause here. But it's not that short. Um, I, yeah, again, here, right, here we go. I'm going to buck the odds a little bit. I'm going with Kopilov. Might be very wrong. Hernandez is very good, so... I don't fault anyone picking him. His success in this fight will not shock me, but the last couple of fights, Kopilov really seems to have put it together. Um, he really seems to be figuring things out. He's got good striking. Uh, he's been able to avoid a lot of clinches. This is a big test for him. Hernandez is a, seri is a decent step up in competition from the guys he's been fighting. Uh, but the other side of that is, you know, on short notice, um, Hernandez preparing for Alaskarov. Kopilov is not Ikram Alaskarov. There's some, there's some differences there. So I'm going with Kopilov. Um, but that's a really, again, really good fight. That's a really good pay-per-view card. Just really solid. All right, on the prelims, Amanda Lemos, fresh off of getting wiped out, basically, by Zhang Weili will be taking on Mackenzie Dern, who is fresh off of a very disappointing fight against Jessica Andrade. Um, the UFC really would like to get Dern into a title fight. And she just keeps stumbling at the, at the finish line here. The, the, the time she gets to a fight that would get her to a title fight, she stumbles. Dern looked so bad in her last fight, man. She's She's been consistently inconsistent. Because against Angela Hill, she looked really good for five rounds. She even had moments in that Yan Shaonan fight that you could argue should have been a draw. I think that's my, how I scored it. And then just everything falls apart against Andrade. Um, whereas Lemos kind of sort of gets into a title fight. Because there's no one else left after beating... Mich she beats Michelle Watterson and then Marina Rodriguez. 
But, again, she had n- nothing for Zhang Weili. That fight could have been stopped at a few different points. Just nothing. Um, I just don't know that I can pick Dern at this point. Uh, she... I... I just don't know that I can do that. She's just so, so all over the place. Um, the odds on this one are, hang on. Dern might be really all over the place, but is Lemos really the kind of fighter that can punish that? Uh, this is super close. This is super close. All right, this might be the last time I pick Mackenzie Dern, but I'm going to pick her. And if she loses badly again, I am probably done picking her to win fights. Because she regressed so much her last time out. I mean, it was baffling, really. Just baffling. All right, heavyweights. Justin Taffa and Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Um, Justin Taffa... Knocked out Austin Lane his last time out. Um, He had a little bit of a rough start to the UFC, but hasn't lost since 21. May of 21, actually. And DeLima, I think, didn't he get stopped by Derek Lewis last time? Yeah, it was almost embarrassing. Um, Dude, this is like, again, lower level heavyweights. Delima is the better all-around fighter, but he's been chinny. And again, Toff has been, you know, leg kicked and out wrestled before. <sighs> that is, that's basically, this basically feels like a coin flip to me. How old is Delima? Is he shot? He's 38. Jeez, he's pretty much my age. He looked pretty good beating Arlovsky and uh, Waldo Cortez Acosta. He did not look good against Blagoy Ivanov, though. I don't know, man. This is a step up for Taffa. Like, he debuted and had some problems. And then they kind of reset him. Then, oh, yeah, he missed weight at heavyweight. First guy ever to do that. Weighed 267. Um, here's the other thing about Taffa. He's junior enough in his career. He still only has like 11 fights. There's pretty rapid... There's still a lot of room for growth that I don't think is there for DeLima, who is not only older, but has 31 fights. Yeah, let me go with Taffa. The age difference is kind of a factor here. Eight years is non-trivial. Now, the difference between 30 and 38 is... I'm not saying it's not... I'm not saying it doesn't matter, but... It's not as stark as if we go, like... Oh, 28 to 36. That actually feels like a much steeper difference, but... I'm going with Taffa. I think he'll have 
you know, smoothed out some things and leveled up his skills enough to deal with Dilema, but could be very wrong there. Could be very wrong. At Bantamweights, Rinya Nakamura and Carlos Vera. Um, let's see, Nakamura, undefeated. Two wins in the UFC over Toshiomi Kazama, or Kazama, I think it's Kazama for him. And Fernie Garcia. So, not not a shabby start. He looked pretty good in the road to UFC tournament that he won. Now we're moving him along a little bit. And he's, again, Vera, who... Uh, has he fought in the UFC before? He's from Ecuador. 11-3. and three. This is his UFC debut. Um, he lost on that um, silly season of The Ultimate Fighter where it was guys who had washed out of the UFC and guys trying to get there. And, you know, that went bad for everyone trying to get there. Um, he's had a couple of canceled fights. I think both of these are in the UFC. Marcos would have been. Um... Vilsen, um, excuse me, Indragoni? Where is this guy from? Albania? I have no idea how that would be pronounced then, so I am not going to try. I might say something really silly. Um, I think this is Nakamura. Nakamura's looked pretty solid in general, and... I haven't seen enough of Vera to have a really solid opinion. I, I think they're still kind of soft pedaling might be the wrong phrase, but they're very aware of, you know, Nakamura is a developing fighter rather than a finished product at the moment. And they just, they treat that with, if they like you, they treat that with respect. Nakamura, you know, geez, he's a giant favorite. I don't know that I like him like minus 1200 much, but I do like him to win here. So I'll go with Nakamura. And uh, you might be asking for trouble with, again, developing fighters. Um, not sure I'd go 10 to 1 favorite on anybody under these circumstances. See, then we have a light heavyweight fight. We have Zhang Mingyang and Bren, excuse me, Brenson Hiberio. I'm going to assume that's Hiberio. Yeah, he's Brazilian. So Zhang, 16 and 6. 6-2. That's actually on the slightly smaller end for light heavyweight. Uh, this is his UFC debut. He's been scheduled for that a couple of times, actually, this year. Or last year and then this year. He's supposed to debut against Tyson Pedro. Yeah, he won a, a road to UFC tournament, it looks like. Or won a fight and then fell out of it for injury, or I don't know. Again, was supposed to fight Tyson Pedro... Then got this fight. That fell through. They rebooked it for this one. So he's been out of action technically for a while. His last fight was June of 22. Yeesh. You miss a year and a half. That's nothing to sneeze at. Um, by contrast, Hiberio, 15-5. and five. I think also making his debut, right? Yeah, won a contender series fight his last time out. Three-fight winning streak overall. So, are they trying to help out the Contender Series guy, or are they trying to help out the Road to UFC guy? I don't know. 
I tend to think a little bit higher of the Road to UFC stuff than the Contender Series, as a general rule. With that in mind, yeah, let, let's go Zhang. Just a bit. Um, I think it's not, probably another close one if you know more about both guys, but I'm going with Zhang. And on the early prelims at welterweight, Josh Quinlan and Danny Barlow. Quinlan might be on the chopping block here. Am I mis- nope, no, I'm confusing him, sorry. Um, he's 1-1 one and one in the UFC, yes. Had a pretty solid win in his debut over Jason Witt. Lost to Trey Waters after that. Had a fight with Angelosa fall through. Now he's got Barlow, who is 7-1. Jeez, again, I don't know. I don't like guys getting into the UFC this early. I don't know how much good it does in the long term. Um, Barlow coming in off a win on the Contender Series. Um, yeah, undefeated in MMA. Um, yes, yeah, so, no, no, I already said that. <sighs> hard to hard to pick guys who are again this junior Quinlan. The edge in UFC experience might be a big deal. Um, the odds though are solidly enough with Barlow. They might have really been talk around Quinlan might have cooled a lot after his last fight. Hmm. Well, once again, in the position of they're trying to slightly help out the guy that's uh, coming off the contender series. Um, let me go with Barlow here. I'm I'm not really sold on that one. Again, guys that junior, guys that with that much room to grow. I never really feel confident with those picks. Um, speaking of picks like that, geez, there's so many of these. Um, we have another welterweight fight, Oban Elliott and Val Woodburn. Um, Woodburn, 7-1. and one. I believe he lost his UFC debut. Oh, yeah, Bo Nickel just iced him uh, July of last year. In 38 seconds, so I think Woodburn took that fight on somewhat short notice. Because that would have been at middleweight. This is at welterweight, which I think is more natural for him. Um, Elliot, 9-2. and two. Uh, Let's see, this is UFC debut. Five fight overall winning streak, that's nothing to sneeze at. Anybody had no one here? No, doesn't look like it. Um, man, again, I don't have a good feel for Woodburn. Like, you come out there and you get iced by someone like Bo Nickel very quickly, and you know, there's not a lot there to pick out. Elliot is your favorite. Once again, we could be in a position where a guy coming off the contender series getting a guy who's in the UFC that they're not sure is really UFC caliber. Again, if you're doing the tea leaf reading kind of thing, that might make sense. I'll I'll go with Elliot. But once again, like, I am not confident in a bunch of these. Kicking everything off, we have women's flyweight action between Andrea Lee and Miranda Maverick. Um, Lee has been uh, not doing great lately. 
two and six in her last eight in somewhat fairness to her. Three of those are split decisions. Two of them I thought she won. I thought she beat Macy Barber. I definitely thought she beat Lauren Murphy. And I could see the argument. I kind of thought she beat Joanne Calderwood, too. Um, the losses to uh, Natalia Silva, loss to Natalia Silva, Roxanne Modafferi, those were very legitimate. But um, she's she came into the UFC after a stint in Invicta and LFA where she looked pretty good. And she just never kind of, it never really brought everything to bear. Um, Maverick has also had some setbacks. You know, she looked pretty good. I I thought she beat Macy Barber. She definitely lost her in Blanchfield, though. Won a couple of fights, lost to Jasmine De- Jazdavisius. That was that was pretty rough. Um, got a decent rebound win over Priscilla Cachoeira, but of course Priscilla Cachoeira should not be in the UFC, or sanctioned by a legitimate, reputable athletic commission, but hey, that's just my opinion. This feels like a Maverick fight. You know, I I have a lot of respect for Lee. As a fighter, she's shown some pretty good ability. But, again, she's just struggled so much to really kind of harmonize everything. And Maverick might have started sorting herself out lately. So I'm going with Maverick. And yeah, that's that's the card. So only 12 fights. And let's hope nothing happens to the main event because I really want to see Volkanovski and Taportia. Saturday, MMAZone411Mania.com. You know the place. Um, I will be covering this. They're in Anaheim for this event, so... A real venue. Who'd have thought? And yeah, stop by, say hello. I always appreciate it. Uh, okay, so that brings us to here's the only really like news thing that I think uh, kind of took up some space in the MMA side of things that I want to talk about. Um, Dana White got asked about the main event of UFC 300, and he kind of said it's been interesting. It's been tough. Um, we still don't have one. John Jones, during an interview, then said he was offered a main event slot at UFC 300, and because of the timeline, we're like nine weeks out, and between still, I'd say still recovering, it's clear that, as a general rule, he's out of the woods for most of his rehab from his torn pec. But there's still, like, there's a... This kind of got brought up because um, a video clip of him went around, like, tackling a rugby player. I mean, there were pads involved. It was very safe. But a lot of people went, oh, this must mean he's 100%. Well, not necessarily. And there's a difference between being, I'm good to start training again under under some conditions, and I'm ready to fight. So between the truncated timeline and everything else, he turned it down. Um, I don't know who's left, guys. Dana was uh, was public about like we're trying to do we're gonna try to do Connor in like the fall. Can we? Can I ask the question out loud? Like, what is the holdup with Connor? I'm not like 
look, horrific injury that caused. Look, man, you break your you break your leg, your uh, especially your tibia fibia in half like that. Like you you break both of them. Okay, that's bad. We've seen that. It's real bad. If it's closer to the and this was, his was close to the ankle, like as terrible as it was for Chris Weidman and Anderson Silva and um, Corey Hall back in the day, as terrible as those were, and they were, um, those were higher up where it's just bone. And they look, Weidman still had complications from that kind of stuff, and uh, I'm sure Anderson Silva's recovery was no picnic. But if it's just the bone, barring complications, it's it, it's doable. The low, the closer you get to, especially the ankle joint, which is a fairly complicated piece of uh, biology, there, the more again, the more like complicated it gets. And Connor broke his right by the ankle, so he had. To get that fixed, he had complications. I don't begrudge him having to recover from that. I really don't. And then, you know, shot the stupid movie, and now that the trailer's out, and I have laughed heartily at it in ways it does not intend me to laugh at it. Um, I don't know what the holdup is. For a, For last year, man, like... When did that season of The Ultimate Fighter air with him and Chandler? Um, It was... Hang on. Sorry, the list of um, things with him, the controversies, are pretty darn long. Businesses, personal life, no, I don't care. No, I don't care. Okay. So, The Ultimate Fighter, Season 31. Okay, that was May through August of 2023. So, they announced that. And the assumption is always the coaches will fight somewhere close to the end of that season, close to the finale, right? And it just never materialized. Or when, didn't they also say, like, it was going to be even earlier? Didn't they mention that maybe it would happen in, like, July? So I remember there being a bit where Connor was like, yeah, I'm going to fight, you know, um, early in early in the year for 2023. And... The USADA thing came up. We're like, you know, you got to be in the pool for six months, and we have to have two clean test results from you during that time period. And he just didn't enter the pool, didn't enter the pool, and we're, you know, we're all checking the timeline on this, going, okay, so year started, so knock off June, knock off July, knock off August, and we're just, we're counting, right? And then the UFC and USADA get kind of pissy at each other, partially over the stuff with related to Connor and some public stuff that was said by both by all relevant parties. I talked about that in the past. Connor, the, then the UFC's relationship with USADA ends January 1st, 2024. 
and we all kind of assume okay announcement imminent and connor got on like connor released a video that was just weird where he said yeah i'm michael chandler and me at international fight week at middleweight and turns out no Uh, that would have been, I think that would have been announced by now, right? Like, that's, that's kind of, kind of would have been done by this point, I think. Um, so there, again, the UFC is still, and Dana White's indicating it'll be later, so I don't know what's up with Connor. At this point, though, I don't think it's unfair to conclude that USADA and their policies was not the only hurdle they were trying to clear. I don't know what these other ones are, but something. There is some kind of an impasse here. I don't know. Again, don't know what it is. Might be money. Might be who knows what. Probably money. But (laughs) we still don't know what's up. So, again, it's getting dimmer and dimmer for, like, who's available for 300 At this point, look, I would not be mad if they said our main event is Max Holloway and Justin Gaethje. I wouldn't be mad at that. Um, Dustin Poirier making his thoughts known. He actually favors Max in that fight. Dude, he's fought both of them twice, so I certainly respect his opinion on that. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I agree with him. But dude fought, he fought Max in Max's UFC debut on short notice. And then they fought five rounds for the interim belt a couple of years ago. And then, of course, you know, he's fought Gaethje twice, stopped him in the fourth round of their first fight, and then got head kicked in the, sec- in the second round of their second one. The, the man has firsthand experience with both guys, so I, I take his opinion seriously on that. But at this point, like, that might be your main event. And here's the problem, man. Like, if you had just come out and said that's your main event, everyone would have been fine. We would have been hyped. Because, dude, it's Max Holloway and Justin Gaethje. <laughs> like, violence, action, blood. <laughs> you can't ask for anything more than that. Um... But you've now not listed that, and you spent so much time saying that UFC 300 is going to be an all-time great card, and you're not going to believe it, and uh, we're kicking everything off. I think this is like we're kicking the first fight of the night, not pay-per-view card, but like of the night would be Cody Garbrandt and Davison Figueredo. I get the hot opener, but dude, especially if this is in Vegas, like, those guys are going to be fighting in front of nobody because Vegas crowd, like the prelims of a UFC event in Las Vegas look more like a bomb scare than a major sporting event. Main card rolls around, especially like the back half of it. The place is pretty well packed and rocking, but those first couple of fights, man, <laughs> no, that's where the, that's where the woos are the loudest. Cause like there's just, you know, drunk idiots far enough apart that somebody goes does the woo thing and it doesn't catch on but it's very loud because the place is you know not very full um but 
they're they're running out of time to figure that out, man. They really are. So we'll keep an eye on it as we have been. Uh, okay. I think that's it for stuff I have listed. Again, it was kind of a light news week from what I uh, what I recall. I'm gonna take a double check. Um. Yeah, let's check Twitter one more time for MMA-related stuff. And uh, sorry, I may have bumped my mic there. Uh, if there's nothing crazy that's happened, we will do plugs and get out of here. Nope. Nothing new. So, plugs. Um, last week, myself and Mark Radulich got together and we reviewed Argyle. We were not kind. It was not a good movie. Um, unfortunately, had some high hopes for that. Uh, you can listen to that on Damn You Hollywood in the archives. This week, uh, in fact, Monday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, we will be reviewing Lisa Frankenstein, which, if you were not aware, exists. Um, I don't blame you. <laughs> oh, we're doing Madam... February sucks, man. On the movie front, February sucks. Argyle was kind of a bust. And then there's Lisa Frankenstein, which we're doing kind of just to do something. The week after that is Madam Web, which... Not looking forward to. All right, but you listen to our review of Lisa Frankenstein. I'll be seeing it. I don't have thoughts on the movie yet. I comment on it. It's like marketing, not on, <laughs> not on the film. All right, we'll see it tomorrow. Um, then what do we got? Yeah. Um, if MLW has something that they're going to be releasing, I will be covering it because I do, um, WWE Smackdown coming your way on Friday. And then of course the UFC, uh, UFC 298 on Saturday. So looking forward to all of that. We will be back here next week. We will review UFC 298 and we will preview UFC on ESPN Plus 95. They are in Mexico City for the first time in... Um, first, pre-COVID, man. The last time they fought... Oh, I remember this. Was the uh, the first fight between um, Jeremy Stevens and Yair Rodriguez when, <laughs> when Stevens took a finger to the eye in like a minute. And then it spasmed shut and he couldn't continue and they pelted everything with garbage and... Uh, Brendan Fitzgerald got under the announce table to avoid <laughs> to avoid the flying detritus. Uh, been a while. How's that card look? And as a fight night, but if they have to sell tickets, they put some effort in. Um, rematch between Brandon Moreno and Brandon Royval. There can be only one Brandon. That's not a bad fight. Um, we got a rematch between Yair Rodriguez and Brian Ortega. Those two fought. Again, sometime back and had the shoulder injury to Ortega that messed things up. What else do we have here? I mean, there's a lot of, like, Mexicans or, um, you know, first-generation American immigrants, or first-generation Americans or sons of immigrants. Um, Daniel Zellhuber, Raul Rosas Jr. against Ricky Tercios. You are asking for trouble. You're asking for trouble with that fight. Yasmin Hauregui, who had some hype and then got starched by Denise Gomes. Uh, Manuel Torres. Uh, Hani Barcelos is usually good for a fight. Yeah, on the prelims. A lot of, there's four flyweight fights on the prelims. One of the main event, too. 
Um, Jesus Santos Aguilar and Mateus Mendonce. Uh, Edgar Chaires and Daniel Lacerda. You're putting the Brazilians against the Mexicans in Mexico. Claudio Puyas and Ferdis Ziam. That's not terrible. Um, curious about Mohamed Naimov. He's kicking everything off, but he's 2-0 and in the UFC. Um, had a good win over Nathaniel Wood, actually. Kind of curious that he's just curtain-jerking the whole thing. There's several of these fights I would assume he would be higher on the card then, but he's fighting Eric Silva, so, you know, there's not a specific rooting interest for a partisan crowd. Not even angry at partisan crowds, just noting. All right, full preview next week. Long and the short of that one. Uh, yeah. So, thank you all again very, very much. Stay safe out there and continue to be well, be safe, and behave.